it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Friday, August 12, 2022. Happy Friday and welcome into the Guy Benson Show. I'm your host, Guy Benson. Fox News contributor and political editor at townhall.com. Also hosted this fine program, available every day, Monday through Friday, between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Lots of ways to listen live, including through the Fox News app or Fox Nation, through our partners at odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. Lots of different ways, available at GuyBensonShow.com. That's the one-stop shop. GuyBensonShow.com. You can also get our podcast there or at FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcast. That's free. It's on demand every day when the show is over. Follow us on social media at Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram. Here's what we have in store for you today. Dr. Nicole Sapphire later this hour on COVID. Brand new guidance from the CDC. She is not happy about the implications of some of these guide, uh, guidelines, plus monkeypox, I mean, just the, the failure of the Biden administration is extraordinary. She and I have been talking offline a little bit about that, so we will catch up with Dr. Sapphire coming up this hour. In the next hour, Andy McCarthy, longtime federal prosecutor and a Fox News contributor, he is going to be here to help us break down our lead story that we will get to in just a moment. Really looking forward to Andy's analysis and then in our final hour, the happy hour, we will feature Kat Timpf of Gutfeld, and it's going to be a fun one. Fridays with Kat upcoming. We start with a Fox News alert. The warrant is now in possession of multiple news organizations, including Fox News. This is the warrant that was served at Mar-a-Lago, former President Trump's residence, on Monday morning in that pre-dawn raid. Yesterday, the question was, okay, the attorney general came out, he made the statement just as we were coming on the air that there was going to be a a motion to release that warrant. And President Trump and his legal team had until today at 3 p.m., eight minutes ago, to object or to push back in court on that motion. Last night, President Trump, in no uncertain terms on social media, put out his statement that he was not going to oppose its release and, in fact, was pushing for more information to be released, like some of the underlying information that fed the warrant request and application in the first place. And I very much would like to see some of that, that he's calling for that to be released. I think more transparency here would be better. But at least technically, even though he was saying last night, no, bring it on, Until 3 p.m. Eastern today, there is an opportunity to fight it in court. That deadline has come and gone, and we are starting to get a few details about what was in that warrant, along with some additional reporting last night and today from news organizations about what this search might have been for. The warrant 
was for the FBI to seize, quote, any evidence of the knowing alteration, destruction, or concealment of any government and or presidential records or of any documents with classification markings. Breitbart is reporting that in this warrant there were a few different elements of the U.S. Code at play, including 18 U.S. Code 2071, concealment, removal, or mutilation. This is about federal records, presidential records, classified material. Then 793, gathering, transmitting, or losing defense information. And then 1519, destruction, alteration, or falsification of records in federal investigations. That's sort of the the realm. And this is what we're just learning as news organizations are reviewing uh, the warrant in question. The report is that around 20 boxes of material were removed from Mar-a-Lago, and there were some documents marked top secret. Now, there was a Wall Street Journal story earlier today that there were 11 secret documents, some of which were confidential, a few of which were secret, and a few of which were top secret that were removed from Mar-a-Lago. There was a big stir last night when the Washington Post reported that at least some of the material may have had something to do with nuclear weapons. I'll have more to say about that in just a moment. But here is President Trump's response to all of this that he put out a while ago on Truth Social, and I'm quoting here, number one, it was all declassified. Number two, they didn't need to seize anything. They could have had it any time they wanted without playing politics and breaking into Mar-a-Lago. It was in secured storage with an additional lock put on as per their request. End quote. So that's the former president responding to all of this after encouraging last night the release of this warrant, which is now under review, and we're starting to learn more and more about what was in uh, the, you know, the content, the substance of that warrant. Now, there's a few different things that I'm going to try to break down as a non-expert, and we will ask Andy McCarthy about some of this coming up an hour from now when he's here. But Trump is saying all of the material in question was declassified. And it is true that a president of the United States has very wide berth to declassify virtually anything he or she wants. Right? If the president decides it's declassified, it's declassified. So that's different from what we saw, for example, people are talking about Sandy Berger stuffing classified documents down his pants during the Clinton administration, Hillary Clinton, then Secretary of State, and her secret email server that was unsecure with a bunch of emails floating around that was highly classified. Neither of those people, despite their high government positions, had the unilateral power to declassify things themselves. That lies with the president. So what Trump is claiming here is that all of the stuff that was seized was declassified by him. Now, as I said, there's a wide berth. It's a pretty wide plenary power. That being said, it can't be done retroactively by a former president. And there has to be some sort of record or some acknowledgement at the time that the material in question was declassified. Will we see that? Is there evidence of that? I don't know. What exactly are these allegedly declassified, according to Trump, or highly classified, according to everyone else? What are these documents? What do they point to? We also don't know that. So 
we are getting more information, which I prefer. It's better than the alternative. But still, we aren't quite sure about some of these details. Now, is it true, as Trump claims, that they simply could have asked politely for this stuff and they didn't have to, quote-unquote, break into Mar-a-Lago? And look, I think whether you think the raid was justified or not, they went through the legal process. So this was not a break-in, right? This wasn't Watergate. This wasn't illegal. This was legal. It could be a fishing expedition. It could be a witch hunt. It could be massive overkill and overreach. I think break-in is not the right way to put it. And there is some evidence backing up what Trump is saying, because he and his team were back and forth with some folks on these documents for a long period of time over the course of months. And there was a visit to Mar-a-Lago, and there was some documentation handed over at the time, I I believe months ago. There was some recommendation, like, sir, you need to put better locks on this door, and Trump said they did that. So... Again, there's just a lot of fishiness about this story. And I don't automatically believe Trump. I know some of you do. I do not implicitly trust Donald Trump, to tell the truth. I also do not trust the DOJ and the FBI automatically on this stuff. As Andy McCarthy told us earlier this week, and I agree, they've forfeited that benefit of the doubt. And it's not putting them in danger to criticize law enforcement, right? We support law enforcement on this show, by and large. Specific threats or over-the-top rhetoric, we never endorse that. But criticizing the methods and the conduct of the FBI or the DOJ is completely fair game, particularly in light of their relationship with Donald Trump for the last six years. And I also don't trust the media to cover this responsibly, because they seemingly can't cover anything about Donald Trump responsibly. Case in point, the absolute meltdown last night over the Washington Post story that I referenced that at least mentioned something to do with nuclear weapons, so people just went crazy. Here's the opening line of the story that came out late last night, or I guess it was was initially last night, evening and then just all night long people were arguing about it whipping themselves up into a frenzy people just making intense arguments in one direction or the other knowing nothing that's what blows me away about this the absolute confidence and vitriol with which people are telling you exactly what this is when they don't know anything and they apparently don't care to know anything they know they just know I don't see how that works. It's not how we operate here. So here's the opening line from that Washington Post story. Quote, classified documents relating to nuclear weapons were among the items FBI agents sought in a search of former President Donald Trump's Florida residence on Monday, according to people familiar with the investigation. That sentence alone gives us a lot of grist to think about. So... You've got leaks, right? So Merrick Garland comes out and says, how dare you impugn or question our people at the FBI and DOJ? And then within, almost like within minutes, they're leaking. Okay. And two can play at that game. Do you think, uh, you know, so-called deep state people at the DOJ leaked to Breitbart? Nope. I think that probably came from the other direction, if I had to guess. But there were some leaks. 
And this is, again, something very similar to that familiar Spidey sense back to Russiagate, where incomplete information was tactically leaked all the time. And people got really, really hyped up and amped up over these little details without a broader context, just assuming there must be something really big at the end of this tunnel because they wouldn't be doing all this stuff unless dot, dot, dot. And it just feels that way again here. I'm not saying that's what's happening. I'm just telling you that this is reminiscent of a feeling that I had over and over again in recent years. So it's been leaked. They're saying that there were classified documents relating to nuclear weapons among the items sought, which is not the same as the items obtained. Did they find things that had to do with nuclear weapons or, quote, relating to nuclear weapons? Uh, Unclear. Also, that's a very vague term, relating to nuclear weapons. Are we talking about the nuclear codes? Are we talking about America's nuclear weapons? Are we talking about someone else's nuclear weapons? Like, that is a a phrase that obviously gets people very on edge. It's like, whoa, you know, sirens, nuclear weapons. But what exactly are we talking about? We don't know. And yet there was a bunch of breathlessness about that for the last 12, 24 hours, whatever it's been. I would just point out, and this is not whataboutism, although it's fascinating to watch all the charges and countercharges of hypocrisy, People on the left being like, oh, all these right-wingers suddenly don't care about mishandling of classified information when they were saying that was disqualifying for Hillary Clinton back in 2016. All of a sudden, no, it's all of a sudden it doesn't matter, even though it was the most important thing back then. Look at these hacks and hypocrites. Well, I think there is some hackery and hypocrisy happening there. But it's also true in the other direction. Because in 2016, you had much of the media and certainly Democrats and liberals saying that stuff didn't matter. This was all a weird right-wing conspiracy theory, and the classification stuff didn't really matter, and there was too much classification anyway. Things are overclassified, and she didn't really necessarily know that it was classified because it wasn't marked, even though it was clearly classified material. Some stuff was marked, and she was, like, pretending she didn't know what it meant. Also, she had all that stuff on a server that she wasn't allowed to have, that wasn't secured, and then she permanently deleted tens of thousands of emails, some of which we know had classified material in it, and then she lied about it. And in these stories about Trump, it's like, well, some of the stuff is at the highest levels of classification. Same with the Hillary story. In fact, one of the highly classified items was about the North Korean nuclear program. Remember that? You might not remember that. I do. One of the items floating around in that server from Hillary Clinton, was about North Korean nukes. Now, that would fall under this vague description in the Trump story in the Washington Post relating to nuclear weapons. Democrats almost to a person dismiss that whole thing saying, oh, this is, you know, a, a, a minor a minor flap. The Republicans are, wake, you know, really overselling this. Move on. And they've spent the last six years reacting to any bad thing that comes out about Trump with all sorts of memes and jokes about Hillary Clinton's emails, but her emails, but her emails, like it was nothing. And now it's something, even though potentially this stuff was declassified by Trump because he was president. Does it matter or does it not matter? That shouldn't come down to which party did it. 
the Democrats made it pretty clear they didn't care that Hillary Clinton had, in my view, very clearly committed crimes on this front when she was Secretary of State. They didn't care. They made it into a punchline. And now it's like an eerily similar thing with Trump, and here we go, battle stations. I still want to wait and find out actual, factual information before I go there in either direction. Because I think, you'd think, I I would just say, you would think people have been burned enough that they might have learned by now to just wait. But apparently we just don't learn lessons. In the political class, in the media class, we just don't do that in this country. It's just off to the feeding frenzy at the drop of a hat. But her emails, look at this, lock her up, send him to jail. It's just like on and on. She was not prosecuted. Clear-cut violations of the law. Murkier stuff here. What's happening with this Trump investigation? There are still tons of unanswered questions here, even now that we have the warrant and we have this series of stories coming out about marked classified materials being taken by the FBI during that raid at Mar-a-Lago on Monday morning. Was it still classified? Had it been declassified? Question marks galore. And we will try to get some answers coming up next hour with Andy McCarthy. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. A fresh take on the biggest stories of the day. It's Guy Benson. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. We're talking about the Mar-a-Lago raid. More coming up later with Andy McCarthy on that. Meanwhile, the House of Representatives is debating the so-called... What are they calling it? The Inflation Reduction Act that passed the Senate. 219 House Democrats just blocked consideration of an amendment to prevent the hiring of 87,000 new IRS agents. I'm sure they'll also oppose any effort to make sure that middle class people don't get hit with new audits, which is what the Senate Democrats did while promising exactly the opposite. So that thing is still trucking along. It's expected to pass, and this mess will become law at some point. And the Democrats will own a lot of the results. By the way, a recent poll showed that just 13% of Americans believe the Inflation Reduction Act will reduce inflation. Three times as many think it will increase inflation. (laughs) So at least that talking point not working well with the American people. Dr. Sapphire coming up next. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for being here, and happy Friday. GuyBensonShow.com is our website, the podcast, free every day. And with us now, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, board-certified medical doctor and senior Fox News medical contributor, best-selling author of Panic Attack, playing politics with science in 
the fight against COVID-19. Hello, doctor. Welcome back. Hey, guys. Always thanks so much for having me on. So I saw on social media that you're up in Boston right now. You'll be at Fenway Park for Yankees Red Sox tonight. And as a Yankee fan, he's been watching this team look like maybe the worst team in baseball for the last couple of weeks. I'm hoping you can bring them some better luck. You know what? I have to tell you, I am up in Boston, and we are going to bring them luck because uh, we're here. My boys, they've been walking around boldly in Boston with their Yankees caps everywhere. Yes, we get some comments. Yes, we get some stares. But, you know, you got to stay true to your team. That's right. That's right. They're struggling right now, but, you know, you got to support the team. And they're still in first place by a long shot. Got to turn it around at some point, though, because it's been ugly these last few weeks. Another question for you, Doctor which will transition well into our first major subject. You and I have been texting. You are aware that for the second time in a year, just basically one year apart exactly, I have COVID. Um, This one has been, today I'm feeling pretty significantly better than I was yesterday. First real day of symptoms was Wednesday. Uh, Just as like a a doctor with interest in my well-being, any recommendations for me or for anyone out there who is dealing with COVID for the first time or second time in my case, or even, you know, third time in some cases out there. Well, just like I texted you, I think it is the most important thing. Everyone stays hydrated and keep their bodies moving. You know, I hope that in the last two years, people have heard me like a broken record say enough times, the best defense against COVID and other illness is doing your best to just live a healthy life. So hopefully people have made their diets a little bit healthier, increased their physical activity, And if and when they get COVID, which, by the way, we all will get COVID if we haven't already. And if we have, we're going to get it again. Uh, Just make sure that you're living your best life and staying hydrated. If your symptoms start taking a turn for the worse, you know, anything that seems a little bit more severe, you absolutely should call your doctor to see if there's anything further you can be doing. But for the most part, most people are just going to have mild illness, something like a mild upper respiratory infection, like a cold, maybe even a mild flu. Um, but And, you know, we all tend to seem to get through that every single year. So the last two days, I have had no desire whatsoever. My body was like, no, we're not doing this in terms of exercise. Whereas today, my body's sort of like, hey, maybe hop on the bike for a little while. Is that okay? Should I listen to that or hold off or what? Well, it really depends. It's kind of like when you ask when someone gets pregnant and they ask what can they do in terms of exercise being pregnant. And first of all, you don't want to start anything new when you're pregnant or sick. So if you're not someone who exercises every day, when you're sick is probably not the time to start exercising. But if you're someone who regularly exercises, if you feel okay, you can do some mild exercise. But when I say keep your body moving, I'm not saying hit the gym and start pounding it because at the end of the day, your body does need some rest to fight off any sort of infection. I'm talking about going for a walk outside, um, even walking around your house a little bit, taking the stairs instead of the elevator. But if you are feeling okay and you're just feeling some mild symptoms and you're really itching to get out there and run, you know, you can run, but maybe just do a little bit less than you've done before. And it's really hot outside, so you have to be careful about overheating because anyone is susceptible to overheat in this weather. But if you're sick, you are more likely to get dehydrated and overheat. So, you really want to be careful. Well, I've got the, I've got the bike here at the house, and it's rare for me to go two days in a row without doing something. So I I'm feeling significantly better. I think I'll do maybe like a low key, low intensity ride, just because I'm feeling up to it. But I, I think don't that's wanna... a great that's a great idea. And make sure you have water by. Yes. And if at any point you start feeling short of breath. 
don't take it as, oh, I'm going to push through because this is a sign of weakness. Uh, listen to your body and take a break. Yep. Okay. Yep. I'm not going to go, uh, not go too hard, not go over the top. Now, I did tease at the top of the show, Doctor, we've got these new COVID guidelines out from CDC. I think a lot of people, I know, in uh, to some extent, you know, you were sort of at the front of the line here, raising your hand, being like, yeah, okay, great. Finally, they're coming around to acknowledging things that a lot of people have been saying for a very long time, and they were attacked for doing so. Now it's, you know, belatedly, very belatedly official CDC guidance. What are some of the new changes that they've made, and what are your takeaways? Because I know you're pretty ticked off about this to some extent. Well, I think I sent some of my most popular tweets out yesterday that have been widely circulated. But here's the issue. The CDC has never been on the forefront. They've never been front in line with emerging evidence. Unfortunately, what has happened through COVID is that local and state officials are hanging on the CDC's every word, but they have continued to be so delayed in everything that they do. So what did they do yesterday? Well, some pretty significant things, which tend to have got a little buried with some of the other political uh, media issues happening right now. But the CDC finally came out and said, uh, by the way, that whole six feet social distancing thing, we're just going to do away with that. That doesn't even make sense anymore. Uh, not that anybody's been doing that for a while, but at least they finally acknowledged not do that. So thank you for that, CDC. They also said, hey, if you've had a close contact with someone with COVID, so you've had a exposure to someone who had COVID, you no longer have to do that five-day quarantine, which We've kind of already gotten away from in itself. However, some people, some businesses were still doing that. If they had a, a, an exposure to COVID, people were having to quarantine, were having, having to test to stay at work, or they were having to stay out of work. And this is a big just deal. Just from an exposure. This a long time ago. Yeah, just from exposure, not even having it. And probably what I found to be the most significant thing, which was just buried, buried in, in what they set out yesterday, is they said, they finally said, Given the fact, while we acknowledge the vaccines continue to prevent severe illness, hospitalizations, and death, but given the fact that we now know it doesn't really prevent infection and transmission, and everyone is having a breakthrough case, and the fact that natural immunity actually provides some protection against severe illness, just like the vaccine, we are no longer going to differentiate between vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals. And up until now, up until yesterday, all of the recommendations have said, if you've been exposed, if you're unvaccinated, you have to quarantine. But if you're vaccinated, you don't. If you're unvaccinated, you have to wear a mask here. If you're vaccinated, you don't. If you're unvaccinated, you need surveillance testing and so forth and so on. And I got so mad at this because this isn't based on Brown breaking new data that came out in the last couple of weeks. We've actually known this for about eight months, maybe even more now, even before Omicron. They're finally getting around to it. Yet you have had people be fired because of the vaccine right. mandates, the right. booster mandates. And, and people have been subjected to surveillance testing. Kids have been kicked out of colleges because they didn't want to get the booster. And so at what point are reparations going to be made for jobs and education blocks? It's a good question, because there are a lot of people who were treated like second-class citizens, like pariahs, who could not work, who could not go to school, who were, you know, thrown out of social circles, friendships dissolved. I mean, all sorts of crazy stuff happened over a vaccine. And, you know, you and I both very pro-vaccine. We talked about it many times. I don't back down from any of the things that we've said here on the show. There was also a, 
sort of an evolution in the science of, okay, what is the efficacy of the vaccine? What does it help with? What doesn't it help with? And it became very obvious quite a long time ago that, you know, my breakthrough case last August was still kind of like kind of a new thing, like, oh, a breakthrough case, kind of a big deal. And then more and more of them started happening, and it became not that big of a deal. It's like, okay, tons of people who are vaccinated are getting the infection anyway, and pretty quickly it, it seemed obvious based on the data that what the vaccines were good for was keeping people out of the hospital, out of the ICU, out of you know the graveyard. That's what the vaccines were helpful for. They were not really helpful or efficient or effective at stopping someone from just getting a case of COVID. And yet that sort of myth on which the vaccines were partially sold originally has lingered on in the official guidance for so long until this week, to the point, doctor, that even in Washington, D.C., just a few miles from where I sit right now, in Washington, D.C., it is still required for young children to get vaccinated for them to be able to go to school this coming school year. I mean, you would think that the CDC guidance would put an end to that insanity. I'm not sure because it seems like some of the people making decisions are just out of their minds, but it should have never come to this point, especially involving children. Well, Guy, it's important to remember, when these vaccines originally came out, it was based on three weeks' worth of data of the vaccine efficacy. They're like, oh, my gosh, after three weeks, it was amazing. It did prevent infection. It prevented severe illness, and this was all true. But they were not forthcoming when it came to longer studies. They weren't they weren't reporting on the fact that that ability to prevent infection drastically decreased. And that was because we still had a lot of those um, other restrictions in place. But it is, it is, you cannot believe at this point that you still have vaccine mandates and booster mandates when it comes to especially the lowest risk populations like our children. The whole mm-hmm. point of mass vaccination, especially in kids, is to prevent transmission of deadly viruses. Well, these vaccines do not prevent transmission of these viruses. And by the way, this virus at this point has gotten to a place where it is not deadly to the population as a whole. Yes, is it still risky for more high-risk individuals? Yes, but not for the general population. Let's talk about monkeypox, doctor. You and I have also been chatting sort of offline and texting about this. And I've been giving updates on this show including a few that I gave just this week, it is extraordinary to me that the Biden administration, having botched monkeypox so badly and the vaccine shortage that is really serious and acute in the United States, we don't have enough vaccine, even for the small, highest-risk population of gay and bisexual men or men who have sex with men, that is the most at-risk population. We don't have nearly enough vaccine for that group. And a lot of that's because of government ineptitude, government incompetence, government negligence. I think that should be a much bigger scandal than it is, a much bigger story than it is. The fact that we have an HHS secretary who's a career politician and lawyer with no public health experience at all running the health agency of the United States of America, appointed and confirmed by Democrats in the middle of a pandemic, just mind-blowing to me. He was a diversity hire. They didn't even pretend otherwise. Here's HHS screwing something else up in a big way, hitting overwhelmingly a marginalized small population, 
and they have so few vaccines and so little prospect for sort of the cavalry to come on that front until the fall or even early next year at this point that they just announced sort of on the fly, surprise everyone, we're actually going to start giving the shots differently and we're going to cut the doses by 80%. So you're going to get only one-fifth of the dose and we're going to put it in your, you know, into your body through a different method, sort of a different part of your skin or whatever, and we believe that will be just as safe and effective as the original tested two-dose regimen uh, you know, with you know, four weeks apart, roughly, and they're just they're just asserting this will not affect the efficacy, and it is safe. And now we're seeing pushback. Experts are split on whether that's a good idea, whether it will work that way, whether people will have to go in and get a lot more shots if it doesn't work. The vaccine manufacturer came out and said we're very concerned about this. We don't have data on this. We don't have safety data on this. And in the Washington Post yesterday, you had the Biden administration basically saying, pish posh, it's fine. Secretary Becerra with no experience is like, oh, we crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's, it's fine. And then they're whispering to reporters, it's in the Washington Post story, that this might just be the manufacturer of the vaccine company being greedy for their profits. And they're worried that they won't make enough money. It's like, what's the point of having robust safety data if the government's just going to throw it away in the middle of something and just do a giant experiment on millions of people that hasn't been attempted before. It just seems very irresponsible. Go ahead. Yeah, well, at this point, Guy, I mean, isn't this the M.O. of what's happening with our public health institutions altogether? I mean, we saw this through COVID. We saw it with the booster shots. We had high-level FDA administrative officials leave because the White House was pushing the boosters without the efficacy and safety data yet. And here we are with monkeypox again. And first of all, the monkeypox vaccine, it's not even a monkeypox vaccine. It is a smallpox vaccine that has been tested in smallpox and in very small animal trials. It shows that there's about an 85% efficacy at preventing monkeypox. Um, However, again, those are animal trials. There's never been a large outbreak of monkeypox where they've even been able to test it. So it's not a lack of, uh, I, I guess, you know, it's not that they haven't done it. It's just that they haven't been able to do it. There hasn't been such a wide outbreak of monkeypox. But here we are. We do have these smallpox vaccines available. They have been in stockpiles, but they have been hoarded by the government. And could they have mobilized them earlier? They, they should have. But unfortunately, it happened right before Pride Month. And I think this administration was more in tune with promoting Pride Month than actually getting out information and warnings and the vaccines to the highest risk individuals because they didn't want to cross any PC lines that would put them out of favor with their far left progressives. Now, when it comes to what they're doing right now, they're taking this smallpox vaccine and they're saying we are going to cut it one fifth to do one fifth of the dose and we're going to give it intradermally. Now, intradermally, I do this on patients every single day. This is how I map lymph nodes for cancer. Intradermally is actually a great way to get things taken up by the lymphatic system. In theory, I could see why this would work. However, it hasn't been tested. And so in theory, it would work. But again, this is all in theory. And what we're really only going to depend on these laboratory data, we're not actually going to test it before we start giving it to a wide range of population. And by the way, what if people get vaccinated and then they go and continue high-risk behaviors. They continue transmitting this virus, and it doesn't even work. We now have exposed them to monkeypox. We're allowing it to continue transmission, and in that, we'll allow it to mutate to maybe it becomes harder to treat and prevent in the future, and maybe even become more deadly. Oh, well, 
on that very cheerful note, we've got to run. <laughs> Dr. Nicole Sapphire, a lot to get to today, and we did on COVID, on monkeypox, and much more. Have fun in Boston. Hope the Yankees do well, Doctor. We'll have you back soon. Thanks so much for having me, Guy. We will step aside. We'll come right back. Some breaking news after this. The Guy Benson Show. More next. We are back. It's the Guy Benson Show, and we've got a Fox News alert for you. Minutes ago, that search warrant that was executed at President Trump's residence, Mar-a-Lago, on Monday has been unsealed. So at the start of the show, we told you that we were getting inklings, that Fox and other news outlets were reviewing what was available. Now it has officially been unsealed, the warrant itself. I just tweeted a link to it. I'll be reading through it as best I can during the break. And someone who I think has been reviewing it now for a minute or so is Andy McCarthy, who is a very savvy consumer of this sort of thing because he was a federal prosecutor at very high levels for years. And Andy McCarthy will be our guest coming up at the start of the next hour, just after the top of the hour. And so he will give us everything we need to know about the warrant and some of the developments that have come to light in reporting, et cetera, in the last you know, 24 hours or so, but especially with an emphasis on what we are now learning from this unsealed warrant from the judge, with no objection from either side, including the Trump lawyers. One other quick note, I don't know if you heard about this, but our friend and colleague Shannon Bream has been officially named the new host and anchor of Fox News Sunday starting in September. Congratulations to her. What a fabulous person. And I'm just thrilled. We'll get more into that with her next time we have her on. Another hour, meanwhile, here, coming up next. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Kai Benson Show. It's our middle hour here on The Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Thanks for tuning in. Fridays with Kat coming up. Cat Tim for the next hour. Our website, GuyBensonShow.com. Our podcast is always free. We do recommend you checking that out. Fox News alert as we begin our middle hour. The Dow closes up 424 points today, ending the day in the green at 33,761. And as we just told you just before the top of the hour break, another Fox News alert in case you're just tuning in. That search warrant from this Mar-a-Lago raid has now been released. We've gotten some indications about what was in it. Now we have it. I was looking at it during the break. It's only seven pages, the warrant and then the property receipt of what was taken. And joining us now to make sense of it is Andy McCarthy, Fox News contributor and longtime assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, a federal prosecutor, author of multiple books, including Ball of Collusion. Andy, welcome back. Guy, happy Friday. <laughs> happy Friday to you. All right, seven pages. What are your big takeaways? Uh, I, I think the most remarkable thing about it is it lays out uh, three statutory violations. And just to, just to give a little background on this, uh, to get a search warrant – you have to have 
probable cause that a crime has been committed, not a violation. It's got to be a statutory crime, a penal crime. So uh, they lay out three crimes that involve classified information, including the Espionage Act. And then this is attachment B, by the way, of the uh, warrant for people who <coughs> want to go look at it. But um, they uh, they then go on to describe what you're allowed to take, what what the court is allowing the agents to take, which is supposed to be evidence of these violations of law. And I get down to subletter, uh, what is it, uh, C, and it says any government and or presidential records created by uh, created between the first day of Trump's term and the last day of Trump's term. Um, that refers, Guy, to a violation of the Presidential Records Act. It doesn't relate to classified information. The Presidential Records Act is not a criminal law. It's not a, a penal law or criminal violation. So to my mind, <laughs> this warrant allows them to take everything that is a presidential record regardless of whether it is marked as classified information or not, which to my mind, uh, not, you always have to police yourself falling in love with your own theory. But I think they're trying to collect as much information as they can in hopes of getting the mother load on, on uh, some January 6th related crime that they can bring against Trump. This warrant is clearly not limited to classified information. Okay, so that was my next question. Last time we had you on the show, your theory was this was not really ultimately at its core a story about or a warrant about or a raid about presidential records or classified materials. It was about something else, like January 6th. Now that we are seeing the news stories about this, seeing the warrant itself, seeing what they took away, 20 boxes, you know, photographs, some stuff about the French president, some classified stuff, some top secret stuff. Has it changed your theory at all? Because I know you were saying it seems almost inconceivable that they were just doing this, quote unquote, only doing this about records violations or, or classified material. It has to be something specific about a much bigger crime or conspiracy. Is that theory of yours? It sounds like you you think it's still viable, but do we have any way of knowing that? No, of course not. I mean, it, 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 it's one of these things where time will tell. All I can say is um, I, I never thought that they – when I say something is pretextual, I never thought that they lied to the court to get the warrant. And it, I am not suggesting that they're not interested in having back classified information, if, by the way, it's still classified, which is right. going to be a big factual right, issue in the next. case. Right. But what I'm what I have said from the beginning is I think they have a closet agenda that is more important to them uh, than just the classified information, namely to make a January 6th case against Trump. So what was the most interesting? What was the thing that I was most interested in in reading the warrant? Does it allow them to take things that are broader than just classified information? And lo and behold, it allows them to take every single government or presidential record created throughout the uh, full length of Trump's presidency, which is a lot more than classified information. Now, playing this out a little bit further, is it possible that they have something very specific in mind that they think would be really revelatory and damning related to January 6th or something like that? Or 
is this, would they have done this as a pure fishing expedition being like, hey, he's keeping some of this stuff at his house for some reason. He hasn't been turning it over. We've been trying to negotiate. Maybe there's something in there. So let's go get it and see what happens. I mean, that that seems like a very risky proposition on their part if it's the latter. Well, but I, I don't think it has to be an either or. I think they expected to get specific things. They hoped to get some specific things, and they covered themselves that they could grab everything. So it's it, at one at one remove. It's a very specific mission to to pick out particular stuff. And I have no doubt since they were negotiating with Trump and they were discussing specific items of classified information in those negotiations, they had to have a specific idea of some of the stuff that they were grabbing. But you can tell that this is not a narrow warrant. You know, so they yes, they were looking for a few specific things, but they've covered themselves by making a very, very wide net of what they were allowed. I mean, they're allowed to take every scrap of paper that they can argue is a government record, or at least looks like a government record. Hmm. Meanwhile, Trump himself putting out on social media today, I read it earlier, that he's kind of arguing it's all moot anyway because all the stuff was declassified. And you know, we know presidents have a lot of authority to declassify basically anything, uh, unlike, let's say, a Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, or a National Security Advisor like Sandy Berger. If the president wants something declassified, it's declassified. Trump is saying all the stuff was declassified. You can't do it retroactively, so it had to have been declassified you know, in some verifiable way while he was still president. What do we know about that? Well, I, I would just push back a little on your use of the word verifiable um, because we're in, we're in completely uncharted territory. We don't know what a president has to do to declassify because it's never been litigated before. It's the, it's, it's the kind of thing that uh, has not come up. So I agree with you that there should be, you know, obviously, if we can find, as a matter of fact, that he declassified something, we will in some sense have verified it. But the reason I'm being a little persnickety on this is I've read a lot of accounts. I think I, what we're going to find is the most fascinating thing about this investigation is going to be it's kind of a collision between the originalist view of how the executive branch works and the progressive view. The progressive view is that you have these administrative agencies, and they really almost run as if they were independent of the White House, and the president is required to follow all of the little rules and protocols that these different administrative agencies have, including how those agencies are supposed to declassify uh, information. Like if the director of the FBI wants to declassify something, there are executive orders that lay out the regulations by which the FBI does that. Then there's really the originalist. Right, because the originalist view of the presidency, as Justice Scalia uh, explained, uh, is that uh, the executive power is reposed in a single official, the president of the United States. Everybody else in the executive branch is a delegate. They don't like Merrick Garland doesn't wield his own power. He wields President Biden's power at, pe at President Biden's pleasure, which is why the president can always fire anyone. Even people who have to be confirmed can be fired because he doesn't have to have cause. The president can fire someone because it's Friday and I feel like firing somebody. So um, the originalist 
idea of, of how the executive branch works is precisely that Trump can declassify anything he wants to. Uh, he's and, not and that's and so look, but grant, granting that, right? So if you're not right. president of the United States, you don't have that power anymore, right? So Correct. he couldn't today, as private citizen Trump, declassify anything because that's that no longer is within his realm of power. But when he was president, Correct. he could do that with a very sort of carte blanche, you know, authority. And so uh, part of the question is, you know. Is it written down anywhere that he's uh, this stuff is now officially declassified? Could he have just said to someone, like, "Hey, uh, put those boxes uh, in the U-Haul. They're declassified now. Uh, take them down to Mar-a-Lago." Would that be sufficient? I-, I just don't really know what the answer to that question is, but I think that could be yeah. central to this whole debate that's coming up. But uh, Andy, just to take a step back on this. I'm not saying that mishandling classified material, if it was still classified, is not a big deal. I said it was a big deal for Hillary Clinton. A lot of people apparently disagreed, including the Democratic Party and most of the media and however million voters voted for her. It was, you know, but her emails, you know, a big, you know, punchline to them. I thought it was a serious matter. I'm willing to take this seriously, although I will note that she was not uh, prosecuted. She was destroying evidence. I, we haven't seen that Trump has done that. Her evidence was hackable. This was, you know, in paper box, you know, in boxes on paper. I think that's also different. We're splitting some hairs here. But if ultimately, Andy, we're just talking about handling material that was at least at some time highly classified, that really seems like something that would not justify this type of exertion of power from the FBI and this kind of raid, at least from where I sit. As someone who is, you know, a Trump skeptical conservative who's been critical of him in a number of different ways and unwilling to defend him on any number of fronts, if this is really what this comes down to, presidential records and classified materials being insufficiently secured or or not in the right place or whatever, I'm not saying it's a nothing burger. I'm not saying that it's not on some level worthy of, of serious discussion, but search warrant, FBI raid, pre-dawn at a former president's house, if there's not that bigger picture that you're talking about and this is the the universe of the debate, I just, I really have trouble seeing that as justifiable. Yeah, I I agree with you, Guy, and this is why I think if the January 6th situation were not hanging over this, they would have easily found a different way to go about this than... Uh, what they've done here. So, for example, they could have continued to negotiate. They could have said, look, we want every scrap that you have that has classification on it. Uh, And Trump has said, now who knows if if, this will be borne out that he really meant this or not, but he said if they had asked and we had it, we would have given it to them. Um, That's the claim. That's the claim. But, like, do we believe that? Because – Well, you know, look – Here's a, a problem I think, Guy, that Merrick Garland has is he went out and made a statement yesterday, and he didn't refute what Trump said. And I think you know the Justice Department doesn't have to speak, which you know the, the problem for Garland, I think, once you speak, you should address the things that people are interested in. And one of the things I was very interested to hear that he didn't address yesterday was why was this the reasonable way 
to go about this. I would think that, like, if President, first of all, it makes no sense to me that President Biden wouldn't be cut in on this because it's a major national security issue. This is not law enforcement as much as it's national security. Why couldn't Biden say, you know, let me call up Lindsey Graham, let me call up Mike Pompeo. These are like high officials who have a good relationship with Trump and say to them, you know, look, you, he listens to you guys. Go down and talk to him and explain we need this stuff back. It can't be sitting down in Mar-a-Lago. I mean, you and I, if we, if we sat here long enough, we could think of a million different things that they could have done short. Well, because they apparently, they apparently told him you need better locks on this door where it was being kept. And right. Trump says they put better locks. I, like, there's just a lot here, Annie, that just I can't quite articulate. It just doesn't make sense. And, and maybe there's a bigger picture that will be revealed one day and we'll all say, aha, this was all justified. We get it now. But I felt kind of burned by all the Russiagate stuff. I'm very suspicious of everyone involved. And at least from where I sit right now, based on what we know, a lot of which we don't yet know, but based on what we know, it just smells. It smells. And I, I can't quite put my finger on why, but I don't know. It's just not sitting right with me. Well, all I can say, Guy, is if you try to think it through by the logic of what they're offering us, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you look at it the way I'm looking at it, which is that it's part of a pattern of investigative activity that has been ratcheted up since June, which relates directly to January 6th, then it makes perfect sense. Because time-wise, it happens in the middle of these other search warrants and grand jury proceedings that they've had in connection with the Capitol riot, including one the day after the Mar-a-Lago search, which was done on a member of Congress uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, right. Scott Perry, whose phone was taken away. Um, it, it seems inconceivable to me that every other thing they're doing with search warrants and grand jury is all about January 6th. But the one thing they did in connection with the guy who they mainly want to make the January 6th case against somehow has nothing to do with that. I don't think so. No, I no, I think I, there's something to that, and you might be proven right. That might get borne out at some point. I just feel like we better know it sooner than later because there's this toxic atmosphere of speculation right now just flying around, and distrust that already existed is just deepening. And, you know, if they've got some theory or whatever that they feel like is really going to nail them, they better have it because if they didn't get that and this was all – for not or for you know this this other issue i just i think that is hugely damaging to the credibility of these institutions i think it would ultimately redound to trump's benefit and it just seems pretty high stakes for something that there are a lot of question marks floating around about andy 30 seconds last word to you uh, i think you're right guy and it's possible though that if there's no prosecution that comes of this, but what they wanted to do was dirty him up as somebody who you know, can't be class- trusted with classified information, I suppose it's one more brick in the wall of trying to make the case that he's unfit to be president. But that's a political argument more than a legal one. Yeah, that, that's not the role of the FBI and raids on private residence, uh, residences and DOJ actions signed off by the attorney general. That's not the role of that. There are plenty of reasons you can go after Trump. That would be very disturbing in my mind. But, again, we don't know. We'll keep watching. We'll keep waiting for more information. Andy McCarthy, thank you. Thanks, Scott. And we'll be right back.
The Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. We're going to move on to some other political news and analysis coming up in the back half of this hour. And then Cat Tim, Friday with Cat, coming up in the next hour. I just want to say this. Having just spoken with Andy McCarthy talking about this warrant that's now released. We've read it. We've looked at it. And I'm seeing on social media already a huge fight breaking out over whose handling of classified materials was more of a problem. Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? If that's what this debate ultimately comes down to, and it's nothing really beyond handling classified materials, I think this is huge overreach. I think I'm also willing to relitigate that. I don't think it reflects well on Hillary. I'm also tired of relitigating all of this stuff from the past. I want to look forward, but apparently in our politics right now, it's all looking backward. We'll be right back. Halfway through this show on this Friday, it's the Guy Benson Show. Very glad to have you here. Every weekday, 3 to 6 Eastern, GuyBensonShow.com for the podcast and much more. Well, let's take a look at the midterm elections. It does seem to be bedwetting season for the Republicans. The Democrats gaining. They're basically tied now on the congressional ballot on average. We talked earlier in the week about the results on Tuesday night in Minnesota, a special election that Democrats believe is good news for them, even though they lost. They lost by a better margin than they're claiming they would have in a worse environment. I broke that down pretty thoroughly here on the show and made the case that actually I think that they're way too excited. And you can go back and read my piece if you want to do that at townhall.com. That was on Wednesday. You can listen on the podcast earlier in the week where I really broke it down with specificity. In short, the Republican in that district, in a special, and specials are always weird, but in the special election, which the Republicans won holding the seat in a battleground district, Trump had won the district by 10. This Republican won it on Tuesday night by a little more than four points. They're calling that an underperformance. But the Republicans had not won that seat by more than three points forever, like back to 2004. So it was an overperformance for congressional candidates with an R next to their name in that district. Better than it was in 2020, better than 2018, where the Republican won by a fraction of a point. So I think that some of this is wishful thinking, an attempt to boost morale among Democrats and to dampen morale among Republicans. And I think the closer we get to the election, the more of that we're going to see as the media Look, they don't have to pick sides. We know what side they tend to be on over and over again. And if there's any inkling that there's a chance that the Democrats don't get wiped out, they will be beating the drums, waving the pom-poms, whatever they need to do for Team Blue. Now, Fox News has a new poll out. It was released last evening. We reacted to some of it on Special Report on the panel last night. And I know a lot of people were spreading it around and sharing it. And it's interesting how it's certain people will never talk about Fox News in a credible way or Fox News polling in a credible way unless it shows something that they think they like. They're like, whoa, even the Fox News poll says dot, dot, dot. And I always joke, it's like they think our pollster is Sean Hannity calling around to his friends saying, hey, text me yes or no on this question. Right? That's not how it works. It's a very reputable bipartisan pollster at Fox News. 
and it's well-respected among people who actually know things, but because it's attached to the brand and some people like to dump on the brand no matter what, they will just occasionally bring it up like it's very weird that there might be a positive development for Democrats in even a Fox News poll. It's just not how it works. Regardless, the new poll has Republicans and Democrats exactly tied on the generic congressional ballot. Which party would you rather see win or which party would you vote for in the upcoming midterm elections? Republicans in recent months had been ahead by three points. In two of the most recent polls, you go back further into the spring and they were up seven points in the Fox News poll. But in the last couple over the summer, it's been R plus three, R plus three, and now the new poll is R plus zero or D plus zero. It's exactly tied 41 to 41. What's kind of interesting about it is in the last version of this poll, the last iteration, the last set of data points, the Republicans are up 44 to 41. Now it's 41-41. The Democrats have not budged. The Democrats are still right at 41%, which incidentally is roughly equivalent to Joe Biden's approval rating in the Fox News poll. It's like statistically exactly the same. The Republicans have just fallen by a couple of points. So the Democrats have not exactly surged, but Republican support in this survey series has receded a bit. Now, some people are freaking out about that. Are the Republicans blowing it? Are the Democrats going to ride this new momentum and keep the Senate, maybe build their advantage in the Senate, and maybe somehow, against all odds, keep the House? I would make a few points. Number one, traditionally, even when the Republicans are slightly trailing on the generic ballot average going into an election, they overperform the average and they do better than expected. For example, just last election in 2020, the Republicans were expected to lose more ground in the House. Not only did they not do that, they gained double-digit seats in the 2020 election. Back in 2014, which was a big blowout Republican wave here, at this point in August of that cycle, the Democrats were up by better than a point and a half. They were leading. The Democrats were leading in August of 2014 on the generic ballot. And then they went on to lose House seats and lose nine Senate seats a few months later. I would say that the fundamentals in a lot of ways are worse right now for Democrats than they were back then. Now, there are mitigating circumstances in the other direction. I'm not predicting a 2014 repeat here or a 2010 repeat, although it's possible. At the moment, it might look more like 2018 in reverse. I've talked about that before. But in general, my point is, if the generic ballot is tied heading into the election, and keep in mind, we're in the doldrums of summer, July, August, often the polling is garbage. People are on vacation. People aren't paying attention. It's mid to late September into early October where you really get a sense of where the polling might be headed, and a lot of people start breaking late. The late deciders, the supposed undecideds. And I'll return to that point about independents, late breakers, undecideds in just a moment. But let's just say hypothetically we were to jump into the future and it would be mid-October and the generic ballot would be tied like this, 41-41. A tied ballot is almost always not great news but very good news for Republicans. 
when Republicans are leading on the generic ballot, you know it's going to be good for them. And even when the Democrats are ahead by a modest margin on the ballot, doesn't mean that they're going to actually do as well as that would suggest. So a tied ballot is worse than it has been for the Republicans in terms of their standing. No question about that. Looking back in the last year. However, it's not a bad spot for the Republicans to be. That's point number one. Point number two, let's look at some of the other elements of this poll, questions that are asked. For instance, number one, are you satisfied or dissatisfied with the direction of the United States? The old right track, wrong track question. 75%, three quarters of voters, 75% think that we're going in the wrong direction, are dissatisfied with the direction of the country. And it stands to reason that a disproportionate number of the wrong direction people are also Biden disapprovers. He's got a very high disapproval rating in the high 50s, mid to high 50s. It's very bad for a president in a midterm where historically his party is likely to do poorly anyway. Even if he's sort of middling, he's got a terrible approval rating. So that, I think, informs... And just if you want to make sort of like a logical guess and you look at patterns from the past and you look at likelihood of the future, the people who are saying they aren't decided, the Republicans have backslid a little bit now, they're tied with the Democrats. Ultimately, there's a group of undecided voters who are telling pollsters they're not sure which side they prefer yet. And I think unless things really change more and dramatically, in all likelihood, a lot of those undecided people, we've seen this in polls. I talked about it earlier in the week and other polling as well. These people tend to be Biden disapprovers who think the country's going in the wrong direction. And therefore, I think they are likely to, when they break and break late, they are likely to break pretty heavily against the party in power because the Democrats control the White House and the Senate and the House of Representatives. I think that's just rock-solid political analysis based on everything that we know. Here's another little tidbit from the Fox News poll. They asked Americans, which party do you trust more to handle certain issues? On the issue of inflation, which is the number one issue, Republicans are up 15 points. On border security, which is a motivating issue for a lot of people, Republicans are up 15 points. You could say, fine, people aren't satisfied, they're mad about inflation, the Republicans are going to vote the way they are, the Democrats might be more energized than they were, and so they're going to turn out in better numbers than they otherwise might have. What about these undecided people? A lot of the undecideds would be independents. So they ask independents, which party do you trust more on various issues? I think that two of the biggest issues in the country in November will be inflation slash economy and crime. And the Republicans lead on those issues by 27 points and 38 points, respectively, among independents. Democrats have a single-digit lead on abortion. Republicans have a double-digit lead, 11 points, on the future of American democracy, which has to sting for the Democrats, seeing that data point. But on two of the biggest issues, if you look at the polling, including the number one issue, Republicans have huge leads on those issues with independent voters 
who are disproportionately the swingy voters who might not be telling pollsters which way they're leaning, which way they're going to go. But again, if you want to make an educated guess about which way the late breakers will break, looking at history, looking at presidential approval, looking at these head-to-head numbers on issues, looking at dissatisfaction, right track, wrong track, there is reason to believe that the bottom could fall out for the Democrats. At least in some way, I think that is likely, which is why Republicans in my book remain very heavy favorites to win the House, probably with a decent showing, and the Senate, at least for now, remains a pure toss-up. So all the people excitedly pointing at the Fox News poll like, here's the big Democratic comeback, I would say just hold your horses. But at the same time, on the right side of the aisle, don't be complacent, because the Democrats are starting to believe something, the media is starting to whip up that kind of excitement and that storyline, and they're going to try to will it into existence, make it a self-fulfilling prophecy, And the only way to make sure it is definitely not a self-fulfilling prophecy is to go out and vote and to actually make the change that you want and make sure that the red wave gets as big as possible and any sort of, you know, counter wave is snuffed out. And that's a point that I've made before and a point that I will be making again and again and again heading toward November. The Guy Benson Show continues right after this break. Stay with us. Energetic, informed, fast-paced. Guy Benson Show. Back here on the Guy Benson Show, we like to quote from Barry Weiss and her substack on this show somewhat regularly. She also has a podcast. Former New York Times editor who resigned, I like to say, in a blaze of glory, because that's what she did, saying that it was just a bullying, illiberal culture. That was uh, a year or two ago. She's moved on from the Times, had a very successful career, sort of as an independent contractor out there, like a free agent in the media world. Well, on her podcast this week, she had Senator Tim Scott, just like we had him here on the show talking about his book. She had him on to talk about the book and some other things. And she told him a story that is extraordinary. And I have every reason to believe her and to not doubt her veracity on this. This is from the New York Post. A former New York Times opinion page editor alleges that her bosses refused to run an op-ed submitted by Senator Tim Scott, Republican of South Carolina, without first getting approval from Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat of New York. During the interview on the podcast, Weiss recalled a discussion among senior Times editors surrounding an op-ed submitted by Scott in the aftermath of the May 2020 police-involved slaying of George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man in Minneapolis. According to Weiss, Scott's office asked the Times to publish an op-ed about a piece of police reform legislation that the senator was working on called the Justice Act. The proposed bill by Scott, who's the only black Republican in the U.S. Senate, failed to pass due to Democratic opposition. In fact, they filibustered it, I would add. Remember that? The racist filibuster? that they call racist, that they use to kill police reform, written by a black Republican? Yeah. Okay. So Tim Scott told Barry Weiss the Democrats really wanted to use the issue more than to find a solution. Well, here's what happened, Weiss replied to Scott, and then she tells the story. She said one colleague, a more senior colleague at the Times, said to a more junior colleague who was pushing for the piece, do you think the Republicans really care about minority rights? Tim Scott, listening to the story, goes, wow. 
And the more junior colleague said, I think Tim Scott cares about minority rights. He's a black man. And then, this is Barry Wise telling the story, here's the shocking part. The more senior colleague said, let's check with Senator Schumer before we run it. The younger colleague refused to reach out to Schumer due to ethics concerns. Scott's op-ed was never published. This is an extraordinary glimpse behind the scenes at the New York Times. Where Tim Scott, a black man, an elected senator, a Republican, wanted to run an op-ed in the New York Times about police reform just after George Floyd was killed. The New York Times spiked the piece, didn't run it, and a senior editor thought they should only run it if it basically got the blessing of Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader of the Senate, at the time the minority leader in the Senate. I guess Chuck Schumer, maybe he's aware, unaware, that he is now effectively, what, executive opinion editor at the New York Times? It's amazing. Meanwhile, let's put this side by side. There's a piece and an expose on a stringer that the New York Times is using, sort of one of their paid sources who gets credited with journalistic work, inside Hamas, who contributes to the newspaper's coverage of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. This person's name is Fadi Hanona, who has New York Times like bylines or has been credited with contributing to reporting in the New York Times. This person has been exposed as being a virulent anti-Semite, a murderous one. Here's one of Fadi Hanona's quotes that's been dug up. Talk about resurfacing problematic tweets. I think this goes well beyond that. Quote, I don't accept a Jew, Israeli, or Zionist, this person said. I'm with killing them wherever they are. Children, elderly people, soldiers, the Jews are sons of the dogs. I'm in favor of killing them and burning them like Hitler did. End quote. That is someone who's been working with and getting paid by the New York Times. I wonder, do they know that? Do they care? Would they have a big staff uprising, an you know, angry backlash from the journalists the way that they did when Tom Cotton, a U.S. senator from Arkansas, wrote an op-ed that got published in the New York Times? That led to a huge blow-up inside the newspaper and people leaving and all of this ugly, dirty laundry airing out publicly because Tom Cotton was allowed to put out a completely reasonable mainstream op-ed that made the journalists feel unsafe. Remember that? At least that one got published. Tim Scott, another U.S. senator, his piece didn't get published because I guess the editors decided that Chuck Schumer wouldn't approve. And Republicans don't really care about minority rights, even this minority member of the U.S. Senate. Amazing. The New York Times, unfortunately, is exactly what everyone thinks it is. The so-called paper of record. Another public service done by Barry Weiss, letting us know what happens there. What a look the new york times final hour of the guy benson show is coming up it is fridays with cat you don't want to miss it next it's five o'clock in the most powerful city in the world washington dc it's time for the guy benson show happy hour sponsored by the finnish long drink finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to america visit the and now here's your host guy benson Happy 
happy hour on this Friday on The Guy Benson Show. We're an hour away from the weekend together. Thanks for spending it with us. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. We air, of course, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern every day. The final hour is the happy hour. If you miss any of the program, we have a podcast. It is totally free on demand at GuyBensonShow.com or FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on social media at Guy Benson Show on Twitter, on Instagram, your choice. And we also remind you that this hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, which is so good. I actually heard from two of you just yesterday trying the long drink for the first time and being like, whoa, it's really good. Yeah, we've been telling you for years. It's really good. Always drink responsibly, 21 plus only, thelongdrink.com. They're expanding. You can see where they're sold near you. You can order online, thelongdrink.com. And with us now is Kat Timpf. Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld every night, Monday through Friday at 11 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel, and also co-host of the Tyrus and Timph podcast. More on that in a moment. It's Fridays with Kat. Hello, Kat. Hey. I want to start with this topic before we get into some of the interesting Fox drama and interpersonal stuff in a moment. But because, <laughs> but because you do an Elizabeth Warren impression sometimes for Gutfeld, and because you actually said this exact word on Gutfeld this week and got a big laugh from it, this is the perfect story to ask you about. I don't know if you've seen it, but Elizabeth Warren, reflecting back on her presidential run, which did not go well in 2020, she claimed that she would have a lot of people saying something to her when she was running for president. So this is the quote. And she is saying this is what voters told her, quote, everyone comes up to me and says, I would vote for you if you had a penis. <laughs> so, Kat, um, yeah, so everyone, everyone, would you be surprised if a single person ever said that to her? Because I think this is totally made up pretty obviously. I think it's completely made up. And, and, and it's, I, this makes me upset. Uh, also, you know, just as a chick, right, um, myself, because it's not like there's no such thing as sexism. And I don't doubt that she's faced lots of sexism throughout her career. As You know, most, if not all women have examples of that. But why do you got to make up a story like that? Being like, hey, I like you, except you don't have a penis. That never happened. <laughs> so it, it minimizes, you know, actual examples and actual struggles that women still face. Uh, by by making such a mockery well, and a joke about it. Look, in Everyone... fairness, in fairness, you're saying why would she make this up? She also made up a whole ethnicity cat. That's true. That's true. That is true. She pretended, and she really <laughs> like she put more effort into like she was more devoted to her fake ethnicity than like anybody I know is to their like real ethnicity. <laughs> you know, like I'm but only Polish, for a specific period of time. Anything, yeah, I've never submitted anything to a cookbook. I like, I, or let alone her family made that cookbook. Like, that's unbelievable. Uh, it's just, they just had, in their previous election cycle, 2016, a female nominee who was deeply flawed, which is why she lost to Donald Trump. But right. it's not like there were a bunch of voters saying, oh, the real problem with Hillary was that she was a woman. And the idea that people would actually go up to Elizabeth Warren to her face in sort of this supportive way, being like, well, we're really for you. I totally vote for you, except 
ugh, you don't have male genitalia, Senator, and therefore I've got to go with Pete or something like that. It just makes no sense. There's not a chance this happened, and it definitely did not happen multiple times. Right, that's the thing. I don't understand how you can have such a long career as a politician and not be better at lying than this. You know, she could say, this happened to me one time. Yeah. But no, it was everyone. 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 No one has ever come up to her in her whole life and not said this. Uh, So it's it's a ridiculous claim by a ridiculous person, quite frankly. And I just had to make sure that we flag that for you here on Fridays with Cat, given all of the the relevant tie-ins. Now, I would like to play a clip, Cat. This was from last night's edition of Gutfeld. And I was on the panel last night on Special Report, not to rub it in or anything, but I was on the panel know, last night on Special Report with Brett Bayer, who was hosting the show from New York. And it seems that at least one of the reasons why he was hosting from New York is because he was on the panel with you on Gutfeld last night. And, well, you had an interesting little soliloquy at one point, which turned into kind of a roast a little bit of Special Report and Brett Bayer, and the background to this, if I'm not mistaken, and let's just set the table here, you have been, I'll use the word, shamelessly trying to campaign to get onto the panel on Special Report at least one time. And if I recall correctly, did you, like, make a whole video that aired on Gutfeld, specifically like an advertisement for yourself to be on the panel on Special Report? Did I hallucinate that, or is that real? Uh, that's real. And also when I was in D.C. for the White House Correspondent Center, got a photo of his chair and said, I can't wait to anchor, fill, it, fill in and anchor the whole show one day. So I okay. also broke into the studio. <laughs> so it's been a thing. Like you are. So don't sell it short. Yeah. You, no, you and are fixated. I also make an entire video. Yes. You are fixated on getting onto this show, even as a panelist, at some point. Is there a reason why you decided to really focus on this or did it just come naturally? Like what? What fueled all of this? Yeah, I, I, I say it sort of came naturally, you know, because I just I just see it. And I'm like, you know what? I, I, I am so smart. And how can he call this an all-star panel if I'm not on it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so you've been really agitating to be on the show. And I guess, you know, some online trollery wasn't enough. An entire self-serving fake advertisement for yourself directed at Brett Bayer did not do the trick, because I think you did that last year, and it did not pay dividends. So here's Brett, now in your neck of the woods, right? He's in your lion's den on Gottfeld last night, and you were talking about the Mar-a-Lago raid, and you were making a point, and then it took a bit of a turn. Cut 11, here's what it sounded like. And, and we need more information because now it's just people saying the same one of two things back and forth. It's like, well, if this wasn't a big deal, then they really overdid it, and that's going to make Trump win. Or because they did all this, it must be a big deal, and Trump's going to go to jail. Blah, 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 blah. And that's my impression of a special report. I was just going to say that this is really insightful, and you could definitely be on the panel. She holds a grudge. Just <laughs> I've been on the panel. It is wonderful. <laughs> Mr. Bear does a phenomenal job. I was, I was almost there. Scared. I was almost there. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Yeah, Even... I don't believe that. I don't believe that. That's like all the guys after I got married being like, I should have taken you more seriously. Like, no. <laughs>
<laughs> when I was on, he even took the glasses off to ask oh, me a yeah. question. I was like, yeah, you know you're in when Brett Fair takes the glasses off. <laughs> oh, my God. They're right over here. Uh, I didn't even predict that this would go in such a weird direction. <laughs> but that's why this show rules, okay? <laughs> All right. So you just uh, land the haymaker there with your special yeah, yeah. report impression. And you could hear Brett react. He's like, oh, so you kind of got him. So is, is your new strategy here to, like, insult and trash talk your way onto the panel? Well, it has to be now because, honestly. You're desperate. That wasn't, that wasn't, no, that, no, that wasn't planned. Uh, so, I, like, I, I do think that a lot of the news right now, even still, uh, is kind of like that, with the two talking points going back and forth. And I was making that point, and then I, then I couldn't, I just looked at Brett, and I, I just, I couldn't resist. And I decided rather than, I just, I just did it. And but, you know, I did, it was like, got him, you know, like, that was a good line. But Brett, honestly, like, he's, he's pretty good on our show. Like, he's funny. Like, he can, he can take it. You know what I mean? Like, he's not, he's like a funny, fun kind of guy. You know, he's quick. He's funny. He yeah. adjusts very well to that kind of role. And so he was perfectly fine to make the joke right back. The question is, do you think you've actually increased your chances of getting into one of those three chairs or did you just blow it forever yeah that's what i was wondering i'm not sure but it's also you know you can't lose something you never really had right Right. i've been working here for for you know somewhere between seven and eight years depending on how you look at it and i i've yet to be on special report not even like a guest host christmas situation so uh you know what i have nothing to lose so what I would have had to gain in that situation was the laughter and uproar of applause from the audience, which I did enjoy. Um, so I, I, I had really had only something to gain and nothing to lose. Well, we'll see if it pays off. I, I will see very soon, we all will, if Brett Bayer can be bullied by mean girl jokes. Right? <laughs> That's basically what we're going to discover. Yeah. All right. I think so. I, I mean, look, I, 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 I uh, I, I just I, I think that what's missing is me. You know, I think I. Mm-hmm. That's the missing puzzle piece. You know, to special report. Yeah. yeah, no one can really fill the shoes of the great Dr. Charles Krauthammer, but it sounds like you feel <laughs> like you might be close. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Like I'm not dumb. You know, like uh, I'm on the silly show and I do a lot of silly things. Uh, I also sometimes do serious news, so it's not like. Nobody knows I can do that, and I do that. No, you can modulate kind of a, if you need to. It's a, and I do, you know, and I think that, you know, I've done this, like, I, you know, I've done serious news for sure. Like, every week I'll do, you know, news hits that are more serious, more political analysis. You know, I started as a writer and a columnist, uh, but at this point it's kind of just a funny bit, at least to me. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm, look, I hope he's I listening. He feels, but I'm enjoying <laughs> I hope he's listening because this is another just billboard here. Cat Timp to special report. Look, there's one or two things that I've never done at Fox that I would like to do, and maybe I should just get a lot more publicly shameless about it. We'll see how it works for you first, then I'll strategize uh, accordingly. Okay, quick break. Right back with Cat Timp. A lot more to get to on Fridays with Cat on The Guy Benson Show. A fresh take on the biggest stories of the day. It's Guy Benson. We are back. It's the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. Kat Timpf is with us. All right, Kat, there's another thing that I want to get to. And speaking of some mean girl bullying, I was on the air. Was it Wednesday? <laughs> what day was it? Was it Wednesday? We recorded, were... yeah, the podcast has, has not come out yet. but that's Right, okay. so it's coming out this weekend, coming out Saturday, yes. Tyrus and Timpf. So I start getting text messages. So number one, at the time I didn't know, but I already had COVID, so I was not feeling well. 
I was doing the show from home. I believe it was the, the first half hour of the show, and you were, like, blowing my phone up with text messages. Can we call you? It's Tyrus and Tim. Can we call you right now? And I'm looking at the phone. I'm like, well, I am on the air. I am live on the air. I can't do this right now. I was like, well, I get off the air at this time. Can we do it then? And then you start being like, oh, well, we just had Dr. Drew on, and he was easier to get than you, you, you know. <laughs> prima donna like basically calling me yeah. this diva i'm like no i'm literally live on the air right now i don't know what i'm supposed to do so then i text you when we go to commercial break at the bottom of the hour you call me immediately i have no idea what's going on i'm very confused <laughs> you call me on your cell phone and this is just a little preview of the tyrus and Timp podcast episode being released tomorrow foxnewspodcast.com. Here is why you were so urgently trying to get in touch with me, apparently, when you were recording the podcast. Cut 10. Hello. Hello, Guy Benson. You are on Tyrus and Timp. Welcome. Welcome. You have one simple question. Do you know what clandestine means? Yes. No, you just looked it up after we texted it to you. Did you really know what it meant? Yeah, clandestine. Absolutely. Like clandestine operations. Okay, now you're going to have like an attitude about it. Okay, let me ask you this, guy. Let me ask you this. Tyrus here. Um, (laughs) Harris Falker said to me how very clandestine of you. She didn't say it to you. And it was, (laughs) I felt it was, I felt it was an attack. Am I right? She didn't call you clandestine. She called you, she called the camera clandestine. Behind me. Yeah. But it was at me. She made eye contact with me, guy. Was she dissing me? She was not. Huh. No, I'm, uh, yeah. does she, Guy disagrees with uh, Dr. Drew. Yeah, I'm on Team Harris on this one, too. Dr. Drew said she was. I'm going to go with my learned doctor. <laughs> I am not a doctor. That is no, you're not, Guy. Yeah, you're just a really smart guy. Don't you forget it. Yeah. Bye. Thank you, Guy. Bye. Thank you. Have a good radio show. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, How I did still, you get what, that? Like, what the hell was that? What? I, I still don't understand what happened. That was Cyrus and Tim's baby. Well, because Harris was on the show. He said, oh, that's like a clandestine camera. And, and Tyrus looked at me he's like, what does it mean? Like, I don't know. I think it means like secret. But I wasn't sure. So I was going to look it up. He said, don't look it up. We'll talk about it on the podcast. So we talked about it on the podcast. And then we decided we were going to call people. And like, who would definitely know who, what clandestine is? And you were our first thought that you would okay. know. And so I delivered. Answer. So we, yeah, you did. But we had to call Dr. Drew first. And then he, you know, I, again, want to make it clear. I'm definitely on on this one, she was talking about the camera. So, um, you know, Tyrus and I, we did we did break there because he, you know, you'll just have to listen to the whole episode. But okay. in, in uh, clandestine gate, I'm Team Harris. Which, by the way, I don't think she knows she's a part of. No, she. You maybe like give her a heads up that she is like a, a central focal point in this podcast episode, in which one of the hosts is suggesting that she insulted him, which she wasn't. Okay. No, she wasn't. But here's the thing, guy. I had her back behind her back. That's very big. I of mean, you. it was yeah. So, I know yeah although it's not like right. really that behind her back because it's yeah, going to be public. <laughs> I thought about it after I said it. I'm like, and behind her back, I mean, I'm there. But yeah. it's true. <laughs> I, I'm on. I'm on Team Harris Faulkner. Okay. Well, I was just glad. Like, I was not expecting a vocabulary quiz, like a pop quiz out of nowhere. So I'm glad I knew the word, nailed the definition, used it in a sentence, basically. Uh, then you got a little ornery about that, but that's fine. The you other used thing it that, in a phrase. I did, right? Like the, the CIA does sentence. clandestine operations. Uh, the other thing that cracked me up about this whole experience, and it was just this quick whirlwind of about one minute, 
was when you start asking me questions, I'm trying to respond, and then Tyrus chimes in. It's a show called Tyrus and Tim. I know you. I know him. There is no mistaking either of you. And he goes, Tyrus here. (laughs) Oh, good. Thanks. Thanks. I'm I'm glad to so I know who's who I'm speaking with here. That's a, a useful clarification, Tyrus. <laughs> yeah, I well listen, we have a great time and you're welcome for all the exposure you're getting on Tyrus and Tim. So now uh, you know, we are Tyrus and Tim and Guy Benson Radio. We are in a feud. I wanna be clear about that. Wait, we're in a feud? Um we yeah, like the, the not me personally, but the podcast. So like the, the Tyrus and Tim pod. The pod and we're not in a feud with you. We're in a feud with the show that I'm on right now, which is why it's so kind of me to still agree. The Guy Benson uh, Show. Yeah, okay. So yeah, our shows are in a feud. So. I'm just learning about this. Our yes. shows are in a feud. We personally are not. Got it. No. And maybe yeah. the next salvo in the feud I can fire next time I'm on the special report panel, which will be soon, unlike you. So, I mean, that's where the, yeah. next, the next element of this feud could go. Well, what we want to do, actually, is we want, we want to have you on the pod next time you're – in New York, we'll have you on the pod. We can work it out on the pod, you know? Okay, yeah, we can. That's a good. Maybe Dr. Drew can come in and sort of mediate. <sighs> the learned doctor. <laughs> yeah, so we can all come back together and be friends again. And so this feud that I still am unclear what it's about can be put to rest and it can all be <laughs> wonderful again. And listeners can enjoy both The Guy Benson Show and Tyrus and Tim without any guilt whatsoever, but not yet. Because this feud is white hot and. I'm really mad about it, and I can't quite explain it. I'm so angry about it. And maybe we'll have to all get together in the podcast studio, work it out. Let's make that happen. Kat Timpf, co-host of Gutfeld every night, including tonight, Monday through Friday, on Fox News Channel. Then there's the Tyrus and Timpf podcast coming out tomorrow. This episode, you can check that out with a little surprise, bewildered appearance, a cameo by you. <laughs> Kat, have a great weekend. You too. I hope you feel better. Thank you. Guy Benson Show continues after this. We are back. It's the happy hour here on the Guy Benson Show. Earlier today, we caught up with Andy McCarthy, former federal prosecutor, Fox News contributor, as he reacted to the breaking news earlier today about this search warrant, Mar-a-Lago being unsealed. Some of Andy's insights right now. You All right, seven pages. What are your big takeaways? Uh, I, I think the most remarkable thing about it is it lays out uh, three statutory violations. And just to just to give a little background on this, uh, to get a search warrant, <clears throat> you have to have probable cause that a crime has been committed, not a violation. It's got to be a statutory crime, a penal crime. So. Uh, they lay out three crimes that involve classified information, including the Espionage Act. And then this is attachment B, by the way, of the uh, warrant for people who <coughs> want to go look at it. But um, they uh, they then go on to describe what you're allowed to take, what what the court is allowing the agents to take, which is supposed to be evidence of these violations of law. And I get down to subletter, uh, what is it, uh, B. And it says, any government and or presidential records created by uh, created between the first day of Trump's term and the last day of Trump's term. Um, that refers, Guy, to a violation of the Presidential Records Act. It doesn't relate to classified information. The Presidential Records Act is not a 
criminal law. It's not a, a penal law or criminal violation. So to my mind, <laughs> this warrant allows them to take everything that is a presidential record, regardless of whether it is marked as classified information or not, which to my mind, uh, not, you always have to police yourself falling in love with your own theory. But I think they're trying to collect as much information as they can in hopes of getting the mother load on on uh, some January 6th related crime that they can bring against Trump. This warrant is clearly not limited to classified information. Okay, so that was my next question. Last time we had you on the show, your theory was this was not really ultimately at its core a story about or a warrant about or a raid about presidential records or classified materials. It was about something else, like January 6th. Now that we are seeing... The news stories about this, seeing the warrant itself, seeing what they took away, 20 boxes, you know, photographs, some stuff about the French president, some classified stuff, some top secret stuff. Has it changed your theory at all? Because I know you were saying it seems almost inconceivable that they were just doing this, quote unquote, only doing this about records violations or, or classified material. It has to be something specific about a much bigger crime or conspiracy is that theory of yours, it sounds like you you think it's still viable, but do we have any way of knowing that? No, of course not. I mean, it, 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 it's one of these things where time will tell. All I can say is um, I, I never thought that they – when I say something is pretextual, I never thought that they lied to the court to get the warrant. And it, I am not suggesting that they're not interested in having back classified information, if, by the way, it's still classified, which is right. going to be a big – Factual right, issue in the next. case, right? But what I'm what I have said from the beginning is I think they have a closet agenda that is more important to them uh, than just the classified information, namely to make a January sixth case against Trump. So what was the most interesting? What was the thing that I was most interested in in reading the warrant? Does it allow them to take things that are broader than just classified information? And lo and behold, it allows them to take every single government or presidential record created throughout the uh, full length of Trump's presidency, which is a lot more than classified information. Now, playing this out a little bit further, is it possible that they have something very specific in mind that they think would be really revelatory and damning related to January 6th or something like that? Or is this would they have done this as a pure fishing expedition being like, hey, He's keeping some of this stuff at his house for some reason. He hasn't been turning it over. We've been trying to negotiate. Maybe there's something in there, so let's go get it and see what happens. I mean, that that seems like a very risky proposition on their part if it's the latter. Well, but, Guy, I don't think it has to be an either-or. I think they expected to get specific things. They hoped to get some specific things. And they covered themselves that they could grab everything. So it's it, at one it, at one remove. It's a very specific mission to to pick out particular stuff. And I have no doubt since they were negotiating with Trump and they were discussing specific items of classified information in those negotiations, they had to have a specific idea of some of the stuff that they were grabbing. But you can tell that this is not a narrow warrant. 
you know, so they, yes, they were looking for a few specific things, but they've covered themselves by making a very, very wide net of what they were allowed. I mean, they're allowed to take every scrap of paper that they can argue is a government record, or at least looks like a government record. My full exchange, that full analysis from Andy McCarthy, is available at GuyBensonShow.com. Also, as part of our full podcast, the entire show on demand every day free of charge, GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch, it's day three-ish for me, round two of COVID. Producer Christine says she wants to play Dr. Christine, which sounds very terrifying. She has curiosities and questions about my condition. She's got the questions. I guess I've got the answers next. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. Happy weekend. I'm Guy Benson. Our website, GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast totally free on demand every day, including bonus Benson on the weekends, which you should check out tomorrow and Sunday. Well, we've talked before, this is long ago, about producer Christine being a teacher. And I believe I said something along the lines of, God forbid, just for the well-being of America's future and next generation. Christine teaching the next generation. Well, I think we've come up with something perhaps more disturbing, and that is Dr. Cookie. Christine Christine is a doctor. Can you imagine the bedside manner? She would just be like Googling on her phone WebMD stuff, and every single thing that any patient came in with, she would just freak out and call it cancer. Then go, you know, just running straight into a wall. But Dr. Christine would like to know about my current status with my COVID, which we revealed yesterday. I didn't know that I had it on Wednesday. And then I decided if I wasn't feeling much better by yesterday, I would test in the morning. I did. It was COVID. So I'm in the middle of my, I think it's like four to five days generally these days of quarantine. And Christine, Dr. Christine, let's like really put that in big flashing air quotes. This is not a medical doctor. Just I don't want to get us into any sort of legal trouble. But Dr. Christine is now with us here on the home stretch to share some of her medical curiosities. Christine? Well, first, uh, to my assistant, Wyatt, please hand hand me my scalpel. I'm ready. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Just terrifying. All of a sudden, just like sort of the, uh, whatever, like the giggle gas, or they're going to knock you out. Like, don't worry, we're just going to put you under. You won't feel a thing. (laughs) Very, very scary visual. Like, my face is the last thing you see before you go under. Yeah, and then that's the last thing you see on this planet, apparently. (laughs) I don't think things would go well after after that happened. The next step would be worse. Okay. Well, let me just – like, let's just get – let's – I need the symptoms. What exactly are you feeling? Because you have had this about a year ago. Yeah, almost exactly to the day I looked back at our stuff here on the show, my social media footprint. It was almost to the day wow. a year later. It was like give or take a couple days. I had it last time. It is – Definitely preferable, just as a pro tip, to have COVID at home than many miles away from home in a hotel, right? That is that is one advantage of this time. The symptoms this time are similar in some ways, different in other ways. I've had no effect on my taste or smell this time, unlike last time. 
first time I had it, which was during the Delta wave, my taste buds were way off for a couple of days. Not gone, but off. And same with smell. Uh, this time, that has all been completely normal, unaffected. Uh, I had a lot more of a runny nose and maybe more of an incessant cough last time than this time, but I still have a little bit of both here in round two. The thing that is familiar and consistent through both for me, and I don't even really know how to describe this, Christine, but it's like this tingling, almost effervescence in my nose and throat that it doesn't feel good at all. It's it's very unpleasant, and it just feels very unnatural. Like when you are sick and you've got a sore throat or strep throat or you've got nasal congestion or whatever, you're just sort of like, okay, this feels like a normal, like natural thing that happens to a person through normal, natural maladies. This just feels strange. And I know some experts and doctors have said maybe if there is a synthetic feel to it, it's because the virus initially, originally, was not natural, right? This was a virus that had been manipulated in a lab. Now, that is not a proven theory, but it is a leading theory, no longer dismissed as disinformation. But if there's an engineered element to the virus, I can just tell you in my experience, it feels very unnatural in a way that other sicknesses don't. I don't know if that makes any sense, but the the tingling where it sort of hurts and then sort of tickles, but in a very bad way, throughout my whole like sort of nose down through my throat it is not fun and it's really strange so i'm just going to tell you this as a doctor it is very (laughs) hard to treat a patient when they tell me their symptoms are strange and just a weird feeling it's gonna be very hard for me to you know treat you medically yeah Yeah, that's fine i i am i am very much opting out of cookies treatment We had an actual doctor on the show today, and we replayed some of Dr. Sapphire. I'm going to stick with medical professionals, but I at least appreciate the passion and the concern. Fake Dr. Christine. Can I also tell you this? Sure. So one of the theories is that I could have contracted the virus this time at the Lady Gaga concert on Monday. Because, yes, I was outdoors for much of it, but I was indoors because we had a suite, right? A closed, little small enclosed area with, gosh, maybe a dozen people in there. That would be very much a potential vector scenario. So maybe, maybe I got it that evening. One of the women who was with us in our little group, so we knew about half the people in the suite, the other half were strangers. One of the women who was with us, with my cousin and his friend group, she has also fallen ill with COVID. So Adam, my husband, is fine. My cousin and another guy who were there with us, fine. They've been testing negative. Uh, I even said, if you don't have symptoms, don't even bother testing. This girl, this woman, has symptoms. She tested and tested positive. So we were kind of testing positive around the same time. She saw that I posted on social media that I had it, and she was DMing me. She's like, oh, my gosh, same. I wonder if we both got it at Gaga, blah, blah, blah. So she checked in with me today, not long ago. It's like, you know, how are you feeling? And the truth is I'm feeling better. Not 100% better, but this morning I woke up feeling a lot better than I did yesterday morning. Last night was not fun, but 
definitely better than the previous night when I had like chills and a few other things. Even though I wasn't showing a fever on the thermometer, it felt like I had one. It was weird to use that word again. But I definitely feel today clearly improved. Knock on wood. You know, you never know. Things go up and down. But I'm feeling definitely improved today. She revealed to me she is definitely feeling better today, thank goodness. But yesterday, it was really bad, so much so that she almost went to the hospital. She almost had her mother come to town and bring her to the hospital because it was very painful for her to breathe. And she didn't quite get just worse enough where she felt like she had to go to the hospital for it, so she didn't, and then she, like, slept for, I think she told me, like, 16 straight hours, and now she's feeling significantly better, so sort of the moment has passed. But that was sort of crazy and scary to begin with. And then here's the other detail, Christine. This woman has two COVID shots, the original dosing, like I do. She also got boosted, which I have not done although I guess I've sort of gotten boosted twice now with, you know, more natural immunity. So two shots plus a booster, and this is her third round of having COVID itself as well. Third? And there's, there's another woman that I know who is triple vaxxed and has had COVID three different times. So this woman that I'm talking about here who was at the Lady Gaga concert, three shots, this is her third COVID, and she said the first two times she had COVID, it was like nothing. Like, very, very mild symptoms, if at all. And then this time it was bad enough that she almost had to go to the hospital. That's nuts to me. That's part of the reason why I hate this disease so much. And part of why I I really, I don't know, just instinctively feel like this did not arise out of nature. The way that it is so unpredictable and can affect people totally differently, even If they've had it multiple times, like you would think, okay, I've been through this twice already. I've got three shots. I'm good. Then you get it, and it's the worst bout that you've had by far. That's scary. That makes me very, very worried. And I wish I had more information as a doctor. I will do some studying over the weekend. (laughs) Um, I am going away this weekend, but I'll try to do some studying. Oh, wasn't I supposed to come to your house? Like take care of you or something? Yeah, that was that was uh, one of the threats that you were making. And obviously, you did not show up, and that's fine. That was perfectly acceptable for you to just you know stay stay away from the house with COVID. And look, here's the other thing. Last point that I'll make. Even though it can be scary and unpredictable, like we still and we talked about this earlier with Sapphire about the new CDC guidance, we just have to live with this disease now. People at higher risk need to understand that and make different decisions for themselves, and no one should begrudge them that. Everyone else, like, we can't just build our lives around it. People were asking me, was going to the concert really worth it? It's like, yeah. Not because it was so unbelievable of a concert. It was really fun. But I'm not going to live my life out of fear of COVID. I just can't do that. And I'm not eager to get COVID. I didn't want this. People were also asking me, why even bother testing? And as I explained yesterday also, it's all because I was supposed to go to New York today. I'd be on a train with people. I'd be up at Fox all weekend long and into the next week with a bunch of people. I don't want to knowingly, if I've got symptoms and I'm feeling sick and I'm about to go work with a bunch of people in close quarters indoors, I think it's fair with my symptoms to test. And then when I test positive, not to subject people to it and then stay home. That, I think, is the reasonable way of going about things, not testing people with no symptoms, 
not uprooting our lives and saying like, oh gosh, nothing will ever be the same again. We have to get back to the way things were. But that doesn't mean that COVID is gone or that it doesn't suck. And fortunately for me, it seems like the suckitude has maybe started to diminish today, knock on wood. I've got a free weekend at home now, which I wasn't expecting, but I also can't see anyone. So that's not super fun. But I'm hoping by Monday when we're here, I can reveal that I'm feeling 100% back. We shall see. We will talk to you on Monday for the Guy Benson Show. Bonus Benson over the weekend. I'll be on Howie Kurtz's show on Sunday, remotely, of course, Media Buzz. Back here on the radio next week, same time, same place as usual. Have a great weekend. Have a great night. Thank you for listening to The Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.